Welcome to the Park City Podcast, a podcast created by Park City Church to discuss who God is and how he is at work in our lives. I'm your host, David Morelli. Welcome back to the Park City Podcast. Again, my name is David Morelli, and as always, I'm joined by my friend, Phil Schomber. Phil, today is National Public Sleeping Day. Are you someone who can sleep in public? You know, I don't know if I've ever tried. Um, in my uh, younger days, I could fall asleep almost anywhere, but um, I don't know that I've ever... Well, I take I have fallen asleep at the movies, so if that counts, then yes, I, I can. But other than that, to my knowledge, I've never fallen asleep in public. I would count the movie theater. Even on, uh, what about like planes? Still no? Um, yeah, I... I I've been on some uh, longer uh, flights um, where, you know, over eight hours. So, yeah. See, so you 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 caught me, I guess, uh, being dishonest. I, you, I guess I you, fall asleep in public all over the place. You public sleeper. Yeah, <laughs> I <laughs> I don't usually. Airplanes would be one, uh, the you know, exception to the rule. However, it takes, you know, a good amount of melatonin to get me to fall asleep because I need to, I'm someone who like, like my whole life, I don't fall asleep, like in cars, planes, trains, doesn't matter because you're seated up. I, like I need to lay down to sleep and I'm tall. So especially on airplanes, there's just, it's just miserable. So, you know, a few transatlantic flights that, uh, yeah, you either stay up and then you're up for, you know, whatever, 36 hours by the time you, you know, wake up, you know, you land the next day, right? And all of that. So it's like, well, I better at least try to get some sleep. So it usually takes a little bit of melatonin to get me to, but every once in a while, if, if I must, I'll, I'll sleep in public. But if you're listening today and you know, that's, that's a specific love of yours. I mean, by all means, take advantage of it. So before we get into our discussion for today's episode, uh, let's briefly look back at what we talked about last week. Last week, we discussed how uh, we discussed marriage and the kingdom values of honesty and integrity and how they're important to the life of a Christian. Uh, and then we wrapped up the topic of the Bible in our devotional by discussing how it is sufficient for finding salvation and a relationship with God. Now, this week, this past Sunday, Corey preached on Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 to 48 and taught on Jesus' call to love our enemies. In this passage, Jesus points us to the high standard we have as kingdom citizens of going beyond what is expected to serve and bless others. So Phil, as you were listening this past Sunday, what stood out to you? Well, I think just what you said, um, you know, when Corey put it that way, that, you know, the the deeper principle uh, kind of lying underneath uh, the passages that we were looking at, you know, is that idea of going beyond uh, to serve and bless others. And, and I thought that that tied in uh, with what Jesus then says about our motivation to, to love our enemies, namely that we are uh, to follow God's own example in that regard. And that just struck me that it's so hard for us to do that. You know, our natural instinct is to focus on ourselves which makes it difficult to, to want to bless others, especially uh, when they hurt us. But, you know, if we're, if we're called to be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect, that's, you know, that's exactly 
you know, what we need to do, we need to go beyond, you know, what's natural for us. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing that it's just so convicting. And that it feels like we say that every week we come here and hey, what stood out? Well, I was convicted, really challenged. And I think the Sermon on the Mount, you know, does that, right? It just puts all these different topics in front of us. And we, I think week by week, we're seeing, oh, yeah, I fall horribly short. And this week is is no different. Like you're saying, right? My natural instinct is to think about myself. So when somebody hurts me or wounds me, it's like, hey, I want to get back at them. And, you know, I'm, I'm good at holding grudges. You know, I, I'm not someone, you know, who's good at loving others, uh, especially those who, you know, aren't like me or don't have similar interests. Uh, and yet, you know, as we're talking about, that's the call, you know, that's rather, that's what we're called to, right? We're called to love everyone, you know, the neighbor part doesn't have uh, any, any exceptions, right? Uh, and, you know, that, that call at the end of be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. It's like right there, that sums up just how impossibly high of a calling this is. Exactly. And, um, you know, I think part of that is to uh, drive us to, to ask, uh, for God's forgiveness. But, um, I think it's also, uh, intended to, to drive us to ask for his, for, uh, his assistance um, and, you know, asking the Holy Spirit to uh, um, transform us so that um, what initially is unnatural for us slowly becomes um, part of who we are, where it becomes more natural for us to, to look uh, to help others, to bless them, um, rather than just ourselves, even if, you know, we would consider them our enemies. Exactly. So when we talk about this idea of revenge and retaliation, it's, it's a common experience. Why is that something we struggle with so much? Well, there's probably, you know, multiple reasons, but, you know, I think bottom line, it's, it's just, um, sort of a natural reaction for us to get angry when we feel like somebody's wronged us. And then, you know, if you add some fuel to the fire, say if our pride is hurt, um, or, you know, if, if we're afraid that we're going to get hurt again, you know, those forces combine to make it pretty hard for us to resist lashing out at the person. It's totally a pride thing for me, right? I get wounded. And again, you, you snap back. It's like a defense mechanism, right? You say, again, I don't want to get hurt again. So I'm going to go on the, you know, I'm going to go on the offensive and, and lash out as you're saying. And I think that's what I struggle with. You know, I want to take matters into my own hands rather than kind of entrusting myself to the Lord as we're going to kind of talk about that theme throughout our discussion today that, you know, I want to say, well, I, I don't want to trust the Lord that, you know, and, and sometimes it's a, I just don't even want to forgive, right? <laughs> like that's not even the desire. It's not like, oh, I want to forgive, but I just can't. It's, I don't, I just don't want to, right? My pride gets in the way and it's like, heck no, are you kidding me? why would I ever forgive them because of, you know, what they said or what they did? And, you know, again, like Corey was talking about too, as we were kind of laughing, as he said this, right, we don't just want to get even, we oftentimes want to want to take it to the next level and inflict an even greater hurt. Yeah. And, you know, for me, pride is, is usually uh, what's lurking there as well. And, you know, it is, it is interesting that uh, usually when that happens, 
and we want to hurt the other person, uh, it typically feels, at least it often feels like to me that that's, that's actually the right thing to do. Um, that's what they deserve. Um, even though, as you said, you know, we go beyond maybe, uh, just getting even, but in our minds at the time, it's, it's, you know, we feel like we have right on our side and, um, you know, and I think that just, just points to in, in some ways, the deceitfulness of our hearts that, you know, just, you know, it feels like the right thing. It feels like we're defending justice and doing what's right. But often, again, it just boils down to us uh, protecting our pride or, or protecting ourselves. I was just thinking about how prevalent this is in our culture and it, it absolutely crosses over, you know, I'm a big sports guy. So, I mean, that's kind of my world and sometimes the lens through which I see those things. And it's absolutely prevalent there, right? Like think of in baseball, if a pitcher hits a batter, even if it's accidental, like the next time, you know, that pitcher's up to bat, or maybe the next, you know, the star player of that team, whose pitcher, you know, being the first guy, that guy's going to get beat. And it's just like the unwritten rule, right? Of like eye for an eye. There we go. And you see all these brawls break out, you know, all the time because a guy gets hit, you know, in the head. And obviously when you're throwing a ball almost a hundred miles an hour, I mean, you got to be uh, careful. You could seriously, seriously injure someone. Uh, but again, even there, there's another, you know, silly example of how prevalent that same thought pattern, you know, that again, Jesus was addressing of, hey, it's not, it's not used to justify revenge or retaliation. Uh, but, but again, that still exists, you know, today, 2000 years later. Yeah. And, and kind of in the situation that you're talking about, um, that notion of getting back at the other team is so strong that if, if your team's pitcher doesn't defend you by, by, you know, beating the next guy up to bat, um, you know, you're betraying them almost is, is, is the notion again. It is so that, I mean, it just shows how ingrained it is within us, um, to not just do it, but to really, um, convince ourselves that it's, it's the right thing. And I think that's, what's so challenging about Jesus teaching here is that he's, you know, he's not just going against the grain. Um, he's, he's really sort of, you know, rewriting the book, so to speak, in terms of um, how how we ought to treat others. It's not just a minor change that he's making. In some ways, it's really um, trying, it's rewriting human psychology in some sense. Absolutely. Well, I think one of the ways or one of the, you know, areas of our lives where we often experience conflict is in personal relationships with, you know, friends and, and family members. And again, we're talking about this idea of how do we you know, lay down that desire to pursue revenge or retaliation and entrust ourselves to God. So what can that look like in, you know, the relationships we have with friends and family members? Well, you know, at, at first it might seem like this should be the easiest place, you know, for, for it to happen because these are our family, our friends, close relationships. Um, you know, but, but sometimes that makes it, you know, even harder because, um, the hurts are, are maybe more frequent and, um, and in some ways can be even more painful when somebody close to us does it, uh, or hurts us in some way. But, 
you know, I, I think it starts with um, kind of reorienting our, our thinking, I, recognizing that often our desire to, to uh, you know, to lash out at somebody close to us, as we were saying, does stem from pride. I, you know, I think the more that we recognize the origin uh, of that desire, you know, it can it can slow us down to recognize that maybe we're not the, um, you know, fighter for justice that we that we think we are. But but then I think the next step is to you just um, if 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 we follow Jesus' example, you know, um, you know, why was he willing to go to the cross for us? It's it's because he wanted. Um, a closer relationship with us. So if we take that same priority, um, I, th- I think it opens up the opportunity to say, you know what, what's more important to me than getting uh, even or feeling like I'm, um, you know, evening the score, it's, it's, I'm gonna, I'm gonna prioritize um, doing what's necessary to bring us closer together. Hmm. I think the pride piece is a huge key because really you know, that, uh, that feels like the biggest obstacle for many of us. Right. And so how do we humbly seek to, rather than get revenge or retaliate to reconcile or to restore a relationship that's experienced some, some sort of hurt. Uh, and, and I think when we talk about entrusting ourselves to the Lord, I think a big way that that plays out is a willingness to expose ourselves to potential future hurt. Right. And obviously that's uncomfortable. We don't want to do that because everything in us, right. All the defense mechanisms kind of spring up and say, Hey, don't, don't put yourself out there again and risk getting hurt again. But I think the only way that reconciliation happens is by having real honest conversation, right. It, by informing the person of, of how they hurt you and, and, and why that was painful. Uh, and then, you know, dialoguing about that, asking for forgiveness or, or, uh, you know, offering forgiveness if you were the one who was hurt. And again, laying down that pride, laying down that desire to, that exactly what you're saying says, hey, I want to get even and just says, okay, how do I move towards this person and pursue a depth in that relationship? No, that that's an excellent point because, you know, the deeper the hurt, as you say, I mean, we're naturally reluctant to want to open ourselves up to um, being hurt again. Um, but as you say, you know, if we're willing to, to trust God in that, um, and, and take that step of at least approaching the other person to see what we can do to, um, reconcile, um, that's a big step. And if we, if we'll take our pride out of the way, you know, I think that step is, is a little bit easier, and then, you know, as we trust God, it becomes even easier. But the, I, I say easier, but I, that doesn't mean it's e- easy. Right, right. Yeah, and and again, that's going to take a lot of work because it's also not, it's not always as simple as one conversation, right? Like for my for my wife and I, sometimes it's, you know, hey, I say something that, you know, I didn't, really mean right or wasn't my intention but okay it hurt her so it's a it's a simple hey that you know that choice of words you know was was hurtful okay so I can apologize and I can choose not to use those words in the future that that might be a very quick 
you know, resolution. But again, that's a smaller hurt. If there's something deeper, a, a bigger, you know, mistrust, then I think these conversations are ongoing um, and not necessarily, again, I, like we talk about on this podcast regularly, lots of it, you know, is easy in theory, but a little bit more difficult or a little bit more drawn out in practice. And I think this is absolutely that example of, again, sometimes you might reach out, express these things, offer forgiveness, and the other person's totally unresponsive, right? And and has no, and wants nothing to do with any sort of reconciliation. And, you know, that's a difficult situation as well. It is. And, you know, I think in that case, we have to fall back, you know, we can only do what we can do, um, you know, uh, and, you know, trust God to, to at some point down the road to work in the other person's heart. Um, you know, but again, you know, the details of any given situation, you know, are, are, are going to be different, but, you know, I, I think in the context of, um, the sermon on Sunday, you know, we don't even get to the chance for reconciliation unless we, you know, lay down that, um, that desire to, you know, inflict pain and hurt on the other, the other person, because, you know, that puts us into a situation where we're going to cycle, uh, where they're going to feel the same way towards us. And then the hurt is just going to keep piling up. Um, so, you know, if we're willing to at least begin the process, you know, we've, we've taken a big step. Totally. Totally. So as Corey was preaching, he was talking about how, how central to this issue the gospel is. Really, the gospel is the foundation for the call to love your quote-unquote enemy or someone with whom you experience conflict. How does seeking to love that person showcase the power of the gospel? Well, you know, as, as we were talking about earlier, uh, none of this loving your enemies, not retaliating, that does not come naturally to us. So when we as Christians uh, take that step and do it, you know, I think it points to um, something beyond ourselves, you know, uh, namely the, the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. Um, and so I think it sends the message that, you know, hey, maybe, you know, just to, to somebody who's not a Christian, it, it sends the message of maybe I should pay attention to what's going on here because this is, you know, how do I account for this? And it opens up the opportunity for them to understand that, you know, that's God's work in us. But I, I think it also, you know, it, it paints a picture of the gospel. Um, the call to love our enemies is tied to, uh, you know, Christ's willingness to, to die for us while we were, you know, still enemies. Uh, so, you know, when we do that ourselves, we're painting a little picture of, you know, obviously a smaller example, but we, we paint a little picture for others that this is what, what Christ did. So we follow his example in that regard. When we follow his example in that regard, we're actually pointing people to him. Yeah, right. Like it's a form of, of gospel witness because it's making the gospel real to those who are observing and I think that's a huge thing and 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 you know we're really giving the gospel the the credit that it's due when we actually do what Jesus is saying right like when he's near the end of that passage is he's saying well don't just love the people 
who love you, like even the Gentiles do that. Like, right, what good is that? How does that make the gospel real to someone who doesn't know Jesus? Because like you said, that's that's natural. We all do that. We all love the people we like. So how does choosing to, to move towards, you know, people we might experience conflict with or people who, uh, you know, we experience as difficult to love, how does that then showcase the power and the glory of the gospel? Because, you know, as, as Paul says in Ephesians 2, the dividing wall of hostility has been, has been torn down, right? So this is possible, not because it's from us, right? As you, you talked about the Holy Spirit's role in that, uh, but, but it's a display, as you were saying, a manifestation of the gospel in real life in a tangible way that can be experienced by those watching. Yeah, and I, you know, we we could probably add the the fact that we open ourselves up to hurt because we trust God. Again, it it, it demonstrates that we consider God worthy enough to actually trust Him. You know, in these difficult situations. And that's what I think is is though it is a an incredibly high call. I think that's the the piece where I get hope is, you know, in his majesty and all his glory, right? God has created it in such a way that we, the body of Christ display his image, his characteristics, his, uh, gospel to a watching world. And though we're going to, we're going to fail frequently at doing that well. And, and I think, you know, this is an area in which the church has historically failed and, and continues to, I think, today in many ways where we don't display this culture that truly reflects the gospel, but sometimes can be too uh, kind of clicky. Um, but again, that's worth, you know, giving our lives to, right? To, to creating cultures and establishing relationships to where this is true. That, yeah, we're going to experience conflict because we're all broken people. And so, Till we get to heaven, conflict's going to be a thing. And for conflict-avoidant people like me, that's just, you know, the cross that I have to bear. But to to live in such a way as to see the power of the gospel displayed in real-life relationships, uh, you know, I think is, is what's so hope-inspiring uh, for me as a Christian, thinking about how this plays out in our day-to-day life. Exactly. I had a... Uh a professor who um, said that, you know, loving others is sort of the um, untested apologetic. Um, I may not be quoting him exactly there, but, you know, his point was that we may not do a particularly good job of uh, loving others, uh, and especially our enemies. But if we were to do a better job of that, you know, the world would take notice because it that that reality would would point to to God's work in a way um, that would be that that's very powerful because it, it is so um, unnatural in the world and um, so on the one hand it is humbling to realize that you know we struggle in this area um, you know you know as we're talking you know I realize that you know you know, would anybody be able to recognize this in my life? And, you know, hopefully they could see glimpses of it, but it's not nearly as clear 
as I would like it. But if we recognize that and turn to God and, and, and let him work in our lives, you know, there, as you said, there is this hope that, you know, we can, um, share the gospel in a way that is powerful and people want to hear more about it because they see the, the power that's there uh, within it. Amen. Well, let's pivot over to the devotional and take a look at our new topic for the month, which is humanity. So this week, uh, you are reading about the fact that God created us for his glory. Now, as I was reading through the, the daily readings, Phil, I was thinking about some of the teaching of John Piper. And he talks about the main pursuit of the Christian life to be the seeing and savoring of Jesus Christ. And he kind of flushes that out by saying that, that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Now, if we were to hold to that belief or ascribe to that belief, kind of what significance does that hold in the life of a Christian? I think it has uh, the potential to alter our expectations of, you know, what the, the Christian life looks like and what it means to worship. You know, it's easy for a lot of us to, to think of being a Christian primarily in terms of, like, dreary service. You know, of course, we wouldn't put it just that way, but, you know, but nevertheless, we, we do fall into that, that way of thinking because, you know, what it, what it means to be a Christian is a list of obligations, and we think of those obligations as something we're supposed to do regardless of whether they make us happy or not. Um, but, you know, Piper makes the point that, you know, that that, that in some ways falls short of really what God intends for us, because when we fall into the trap of thinking that um, the less we want to do something, you know, in other words, the less happier we are, the greater the sacrifice and then great, the greater the virtue. Um, so, you know, that, that's why for a lot of us, you know, the Christian life is, is about fulfilling our duty, but, you know, that has a way of cutting us off from the joy that God intends for us. And what I think is significant about what Piper says is that that in fact actually causes us to glorify God uh, less than, than he deserves. Uh, you know, we're called into a relationship with God. And as we see God in all his greatness and goodness, and as we experience that greatness and goodness in our, in our lives and anticipate what that's going to look like in eternity, eternity, the natural response ought to be joy. Uh, but when we suppress that joy, you know, we obscure God's glory because we're implicitly saying that um, he's great, but not great enough to make us happy. Um, our joy and satisfaction in God, therefore, is not only, you know, I mean, you know, but and we don't mean to say that God doesn't make us happy. And I think that's Piper's point is that we, we want to say the opposite. And that's why when we take joy and satisfaction in God, we're actually, although we're benefiting it, we're gl glorifying God in a way that we don't when we create the appearance of just sort of drudgery. Yeah, I the more I read about this and, and listen to Piper talk about it, I've read a couple of his books uh, where he 
not not solely addresses this, but of course the theme comes across. I just get more and more convinced that, man, this is so important that everything comes back to seeing and savoring Jesus and exactly, you know, that situation that you're describing, right? We all just miss the point and we get into the, you know, kind of begrudgingly saying, okay, well, I guess I need to, you know, follow God and, you know, try to find his will for my life. And man, he's such a cosmic killjoy. And, you know, I thought in the reading, as you talked about, you know, that God desires that we would have joy in him, right? That that's for our benefit. It's for our good. You know, then you start to see, wait, wait, this cosmic killjoy idea, that's not really his nature. That's not who God is. And, you know, but yet how easy it is for us to, to miss the mark and to kind of see him that way. And then, like you said, not only miss out on joy for ourselves, but fall short in, in ascribing to God the glory that he actually deserves. Yeah, I think, you know, when I first came across uh, this idea, and it, the idea goes, it's not just in John Piper's work, uh, it's, it's um, in Jonathan Edwards, C.S. Lewis, um, you know, but Piper, you know, is one of the, you know, a modern proponent of it. And when I first came across it, it it really, it really did uh, surprise me the idea that, you know, our joy actually glorifies, you know, God, um, you know, we primarily think of our joy as being our joy and, you know, something that's for us. Uh, but when you, when you think about it, it, it does make sense that, you know, what are we saying about God if, if we say that serving him, being in a relationship with him doesn't bring us joy, you know, is, is he more worthy in that situation or is he more worthy if we worthy, if we acknowledge that, yes, being with you makes me happy. So in some ways it's disarming when we say that, but I think that's, that's the point. Yeah. And it, it just, yeah, (laughs) it just, my head just starts spinning as I start thinking about it because then you get in this, you know, man, when God says he wants a relationship from us or, or with us rather, you know, like, what does that mean? Like how, you know, again, that's, that is so for our good. Right. And it's to that end. And, but he's also accomplishing this end as you talked about, right. That he desires to glorify himself and how that's not an egotistical thing, but that God's actually that good (laughs) and he can, praise himself, right, or uh, ascribe to himself glory in a way that's perfectly pure. Uh, and, and again, it's just, you can't, I can't even hardly, you know, begin to wrap my mind around that idea because, again, we see it and play out with humans doing that. We're like, man, that guy's so cocky and, oh, that just drives me nuts, right? You, 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 we just, we can't stand that. But yet with God, it's completely different because that, that actually is who he is. Uh, and he is deserving of, of every ounce of that. And so, yes, our aim should be to savor him and to treasure him as supreme in our lives. Yeah, you know, in that, again, part of his, his greatness is that he's able to create the situation in which, you know, what is for our benefit turns out for his glory. And um, it's just how perfect he is that he's able to create that that kind of 
um, situation. Um, but, you know, as, as I try to bring out in, in the devotional that, you know, one of, one of the things that, you know, Piper talks about is that, you know, really part of um, how that, that works out is our joy, our expressing that joy um, in glorifying God you know, when we, we're diminishing kind of God's glory when we don't express that joy. But, you know, in a way we're sort of um, hurting ourselves because we naturally, you know, when we truly understand who he is, what he's done for us, joy is a natural response. And when we try to restrict that, you know, we're, uh, you know, we're diminishing our own happiness and, uh, you know, we don't always think of it that way because, again, that notion of du- duty comes into play, and, and we have kind of in, in the back of our heads this idea that a virtuous act means I don't get anything out of it. So service of God and worship of God isn't supposed to make me happy, um, or at least I shouldn't be motivated by that desire. And, you know, I think Piper, you know, draws out that, Really, that doesn't doesn't make any sense because that's how he's created us, and and he truly is worthy of that joy, that that we would express in him. So if we we say that the aim then is to you know to savor Christ, to treasure him, how does that actually help to strengthen our faith and our relationship with God? Well, I, I think it strengthens that relationship because we begin to experience that relationship fully. Um, you know, because he is good, you know, God happily works for our benefit, you know, as, and as we said, we've said, he wants us to take joy in that reality. You know, if instead we think of our relationship with him just as, as a duty, you know, we're not experiencing all that he intends for us and we're not appreciating, um, him as we ought to, you know, uh, uh, you know, Im- imagine you meet somebody, you get to know them, and as a result of getting to know them, uh, you fall in love and decide to, to marry them. And then, and then you vow to dutifully serve them, but, uh, but that you're not going to take any joy in your marriage. Would your marriage be stronger for that vow? Um, would you be demonstrating how much you value your spouse with that vow? No, you'd be cutting yourself off from the joy that the relationship ought to be bringing you. And, and at the same time that you're doing that, you're sort of uh, obscuring your spouse's worth um, by, not, by not expressing your appreciation for them. And, and I think that's true of our relationship with God, that you know, we, we aren't experiencing all that he intends the relationship to be. And because of that, our relationship, our, our trust, our appreciation for him isn't as strong as it could be in that circumstance. Absolutely. Right. Like the idea that we begin to pursue God just for, just for who he is rather than to get something from him as well. And I think sometimes that's the, you know, the, the kind of pitfall that we, that we have is, you know, we say, okay, I want, I want something from him, whether it's escape from sin or, or, you know, hope or, or whatever that thing is. And, those are things that God offers us, right? Like you run to him and you find oh wait, I actually do get help, uh, in dealing with, with sin. I get hope in despair. I get, you know, joy as we're, we're talking about, 
but it's also this, we begin to realize that, wait, it's actually not just running to him to get to things, uh, kind of genie in the bottle, you know, kind of analogy, but running into the arms of our heavenly father who loved us enough, who loves us enough present day to, to die for us. And, and again, as you're saying, right, it's, that strengthens our faith and, and relationship with him because we, we just get a clearer and clearer picture of who he really is. And we find many of the perceptions that we have of him when we accept him into our lives, you know, actually sometimes turn out to not really be fully true. And we, we start to kind of reimagine or not, not reimagine, but kind of redefine who God really is. And we say, wait, that's what it's really about. It's not about, you know, bringing my list of to-dos to God and then just saying, okay, see you next week. But it's, wait, I get access to my heavenly father who loves me, who knows what's best for me and who's created me, who's created the world and everything in such a way that by pursuing relationship with him, that's where I find my deepest joy and my deepest satisfaction. And that's all rooted in him. And as you said, that is what brings him the greatest glory. Yeah, and as, as kind of you, you were hinting at, you know, one of the objections that sometimes gets raised is that, you know, when we talk about our own satisfaction, our, our joy, it, it begins to feel like that's self-centered. Um, but that that's not Piper's point at all because of what you're saying, that um, what brings us joy is God himself, and, and when we think of it pri- primarily in relational terms, that our joy is that we get to be with him. Yes, he gives us gifts and does things for us, and we take joy in that, but it's always tied to who he is. Um, we don't value the gifts apart from being with him, if that makes sense. And, and in that sense, it's, 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 it's very God-centered rather than... Um, self-centered. Exactly. Exactly. So how does that view then actually apply to our lives? How could we take that and say, okay, what are some implications that, you know, affect now my day to day as we, okay, I'm listening to this podcast and now we're moving forward. You know, what, what would you say to that end? Well, I think one of the, the big, big things that it does is it uh, has the potential potential to alter our notions of sacrifice. Um, You know, does sacrifice have to be a joyless thing? Um, You know, if if we experience joy in something, does that mean um, that all of a sudden, you know, the would-be selfless act becomes somehow selfish? And and I don't think that's the case. And again, you know, if, if we look to Jesus as our example, you know, Hebrews 12 says that Jesus endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. You know, in other words, Jesus took joy in the fact that he was fulfilling the Father's will and ultimately paving the way to spend eternity, for us to spend eternity with him. Um, Did his joy drain the cross of its sacrifice? No, and neither does our joy. When we deny ourselves out of love for God and others, as Christ did, we can take joy in the fact that we're doing God's will and uh, in the pleasure that, you know, that that brings him. And we can take joy in the benefit that we're doing for others. So sacrifice and denial of self um, is an integral 
part of the Christian life, but joy ought to be there as well. Absolutely. And I, that kind of makes me think of then, right, the battle or the tension that we feel as Christians in between legalism and license, which if you're not familiar with those terms, legalism is kind of the, right, I have to do it because I need to I need to earn favor from God, so I obey him to that end that, right, I get favor from God. License is the opposite of that. We, we abuse God's grace and say, hey, great, you know, his grace abounds so I can just keep sinning that I don't have to change anything because, woohoo, God forgives me. And now, obviously, the way to Christ is, you know, in the middle of those, right? And those are two ditches that we can fall into. But as we savor Christ, I think that becomes easier to do. It becomes easier to, to ride the middle of the road in that, you know, for a lot of the same reasons that you're saying, it, it, there are certain sacrifices that we make, right? We we do attempt to live our lives according to how God desires us to, but not because it's a sacrifice that we, we do begrudgingly, right? Because, well, I guess he's God, so he says I should, so I guess I will, but because we recognize who he is, right? And we say, man, God is so incredibly amazing and I want to be like him. And that's why I pursue obedience, right? That's why I pursue holiness and righteousness, as Jesus said in the sermon text, right? Be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect, right? That's why we pursue perfection, not to earn favor with God, but because we see how wonderful he is and we say, and that's what I want as well. And, you know, on the flip side, it helps us with license because we say, and if God was willing to go to the cross for me, to go to such great length, and I don't want to abuse that grace, right? I don't want to take advantage of that. I want to, I want to do, you know, what I can to to live as he's called me to. And, and again, I'm going to mess up, and I'm going to be grateful that that grace can't run out. Um, but I'm not trying to sit here and say, wait, God's grace is an excuse for me to sin. Um, because again, that's you, you see his character and we're so in awe of that. We're so drawn to his wonderful heart. And I think that's a huge you know, implication of, of this view. And we stand back and just say, man, God is the greatest treasure in my life. I think it helps us in that way. Yeah. And as you say, you know, we, as with a lot of things, we can err in, you know, multiple directions, but, um, if part of what we take joy in is becoming like Christ, um, if, if that's what we truly want, you know, that's, that's going to keep us from sort of doing things without having an actual heart for God, or as you say, abusing, um, God's grace and, 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 and just, you know, feeling like we can do whatever we want, even if it's sin because Christ wouldn't do those things. And if he's our example and if, and if he's the one that we, it, it would be an odd thing to savor him, but then not want to be like him. And I think that's, um, you know, Im- important to keep in mind. Absolutely. I think another area that it helps us is, you know, often our perspective of heaven is warped. And I think many of us, as we come to faith, I don't know that we would necessarily say it this way, but I think a lot of times we're like, Hey man, heaven's going to be great because it's not hell. And 
I think that misses the point, right? And I think, I think we're missing out on an understanding of just how great God is when we say that, because yes, heaven is, uh, is a lot better than hell, but the reason for that isn't the escape from suffering, right? It isn't the escape from sin and, and pain and discomfort for eternity. It's because Christ is with us there and because we can be with him unlike we are able to in this present day. And, you know, like that's because he's our greatest prize, right? He's the prize of heaven and that's why heaven is so great. And now to be clear, there are wonderful effects of that, like (laughs) sinlessness, no pain, no more tears, no suffering, right? You read Revelation 21 and, and it just makes you go, man, I can't wait to be there. But I think as we treasure Christ, as we see him as supreme, as it says in Philippians 3, as you know, supremely worth it, you know, we start to yearn for heaven because that's when we get to be with Christ. And I think that just blows my mind that, again, God could create it in such a way which that's our aspiration and that's the reward, and that's the prize, and everything else just kind of falls into place as a result of that. Yeah, all those uh, good things that come about um, in the new heavens and the new earth, that's because God is there. And um, that's something to be excited about. Um, yes, part of that is are the things that you say that the lack of suffering the lack of pain um but we know that none of that would be possible without god's goodness being present with us and and you know i think again that's what um transforms a lot of this from being uh self-centered in terms of oh look what we get out of this and makes it God-centered because we recognize that without him, uh, none of that would matter, that we would not truly be satisfied were he not there. Amen. Amen. And that's, you know, in the closing of this episode, you're going to hear me say, you know, we hope this resource helps you to see and savor God's goodness, beauty, and grace in your life. Like that's that's the, the goal of this podcast. It's right. The goal of the Christian life is for you to see that and to just worship. Um, and so we're going to pause our discussion here. Um, but again, as you go about your day and your week, uh, we hope that you would do that. Uh, would you be you know, cognizant of the Lord in your, in your day-to-day? Uh, and, and would your heart just be spurred to, to worship him? Um, well, as always, thank you, Phil, so much for all of your thoughts and wisdom. We appreciate it. Uh, before we close, want to quickly remind you that if you have any questions about the topics that we are discussing, we would love to hear from you. You can send any questions you have to my email, davidmorelli at parkcitychurch.net, and we will attempt to answer them. Next week, we will be discussing Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 to 6, and verses 16 to 18, and we'll be talking about giving, praying, and fasting. And then as we turn to the devotional, we will be talking about how God created us with a body and a soul. So please join us next week for that discussion. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Park City Podcast. 
We hope this resource helps you to see and savor God's goodness, beauty, and grace in your life. If you'd like to learn more about our church, please visit our website at www.parkcitychurch.net. Once again, thanks for listening.